0: Hey, everyone. This is your host, Jake Hirschman. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. We are excited to bring you Suja Organic as our sponsor for today's episode. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off their packages. Excited to have Suja on board, and thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. This is part of the Sports Business Insights from Gator Nation series with the University of Florida Sports Management Program. Excited to have on our guest in today and in Tom Ferry. He's the Executive Director of the Sports and Society Program uh, within the Aspen Institute. And Tom's got an incredible career and, and a lot of experience to talk to, but we're really going to focus on kind of the area of youth sports uh, and how youth sports ultimately affects the rest of the sports ecosystem today. So Tom, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's just talk a little bit about you. You had quite the career at ESPN, but what got you to the Aspen Institute and um, what have you been able to accomplish there that you're most proud of so far?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm one of these one of these uh, people who knew what I wanted to do when I was 17 years old. And uh, that was to be a, a journalist, a long form investigative or enterprise journalist. I was um, fortunate enough to be working part-time in the, in the, in the newsroom of the Miami Herald uh, when I was a senior in high school. I'm like, wow, okay, I know what I wanna do with my life. And that's what I did for really, you know, uh, 20, you know, 30 years, really. I can't believe I'm that old <laughs> and uh uh you know Seattle Times and then uh ESPN for 20 years Outside the Lines magazine uh ESPN.com all that and uh I don't know I wrote this book in 2008 called Game On the All-American Race to Make Champions of Our Children which was you know the first um investigative or comprehensive uh look or land uh, it, um, autopsy of the, of the, you know, of, of youth sports in America and try to explain how we became the world sports superpower. But you know, what's, what's going on with all these kids who are left out and stuck on the couch and the obesity crisis and the parents going crazy on the sideline. And I don't know, it just took a lot of work to, to, to put all the pieces together. I did. And when the book came out, I was hopeful that someone was going to, you know, take the findings and. Build a better sports system in our country, right? You're always hopeful, but uh, no one really did. I mean, a lot of people read the book, um, a lot of leaders read the book, but there's no mechanism in this country, uh, no no sports ministry or Department of Sports and Recreation to really coordinate sport development. So there really wasn't a really wasn't a means to to, to build a better better sports system in the U.S. starting with with youth, right? And so that's when I. Um, connected with the Aspen Institute, which is, um, you know, it's been around for 60 years. It's a, if you're not familiar with it, it's a not-for-profit educational and policy studies group out of DC. Some people call it a think tank. It's really just a premier convener that has the ability to, um, and the credibility to, to get, you know, a lot of the right people around the table around a lot of the complex challenges of, of our time and, and really develop shared values and shared um solutions to you know some of the you know the the really challenging stuff that's out there so my you know the challenge i was going to attack was our sports system and how to get it right starting at 12 and under how do we make sure that sports is accessible to every kid in this country uh, regardless of background or ability um and that they develop through sports and uh, stay active into the adult years uh, so it's a lot of work, I mean, taking this on. And I just got so, um, you know, once I had this venue to try and create this conversation and develop these solutions, uh, it was really hard to kind of honestly, just keep my, my interest in writing stories and doing stories for ESPN. I loved my time there. I learned a lot, I traveled the world, uh, really appreciate all the opportunities that were given to me, but I don't know, this just this opportunity to really, uh, you know, make sports better in this country, uh, you know, to tilt at the windmills for a bit uh, w- was too compelling. And um, so ultimately, I just began to shift away from ESPN. And then finally, ESPN figured out that, uh, oh, he's really more interested in Aspen than <laughs> he is at ESPN. And uh, we parted with his in, in 2017. And, um, you know, I've been building up the program for 10 years now. Um, and I'm just really proud of all the work that uh, my team and, and all the organizations and leaders that have come to the Project Play uh, Roundtable uh, table to, to uh, how they've really dug into this idea of how to build healthier children and communities through sports. I mean, we've produced you know, many reports, landscaping the state of play nationally uh, and in you know, you know, eight to 10 communities across the US uh, I mean, a lot of original data. Um, I mean, we've, you know, one of the things I'm proud of is, is, you know, we've really established that there's an access problem in sports. When I was working at ESPN, everybody thought that, Oh yeah, just every kid plays sports. Well, no, not every kid doesn't play sports. Um, most kids actually don't have a sustained experience. It's really become over the past generation or so uh, you know, a place where we sort the weak from the strong at, Ever earlier ages and through travel teams and $2,000 checks and club play and private training and gets very exclusive very early. And so I think there's, you know, a, a, a broad recognition now that there's an access problem uh, to sports in this country. And,
0: uh, is there a lot of other is,
1: stuff we've done? But
0: that's what. Is, is there a long term effect to the access problem? I mean, see it in the immediate, right? There's the the health component, there's the community, you know, component, but I mean, long-term effects to the fans of our collegiate and professional sports as well. I mean, that's where they start.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think pro sports is going to be fine in this country. College sports are generally going to be fine, but we do know from research that kids who play sports are three times as likely to become avid fans of a sport. So, I mean, just makes common sense, right? You play baseball, you become fascinated with, uh, you know, the, the, the very best, you know, uh, major league play baseball players. And you're more likely to be a fan of whoever the Red Sox or the pirates or whatever else it may be as you, as you grow older. Um, and so the, you know, if, if, if sports is structurally pushing aside kids at a very early age and they don't have a chance to develop that affinity for the game, to see the magic in the game, uh, you're, you know, that's dangerous, that's, that's not good. I mean, doesn't mean you can't still engage people through other means, through, you know, fantasy sports or, uh, you know, gambling, you know, sports betting is becoming a big deal or, or other electronic diversions. There's a way to kind of bring people into your product, but we know that the most surefire way of developing a, a fan for life is to simply give a kid an opportunity Uh, to to play sports and and have a good experience playing sports at an early age.
0: What's the biggest challenge that those in the business of youth sports face in in terms of being able to try and make it as equitable um, and impactful as possible?
1: Uh, I mean, two things, a lack of funding. I mean, it is uh, funny. Sports is this incredibly powerful institution. We know that Kids who play sports are one-tenth as likely to be obese. They're more likely to stay in school, more likely to go to college, less likely to suffer all sorts of chronic diseases, including 13 types of cancer. They're more likely to have you know, lower healthcare costs, more likely to be active parents, and therefore more likely to be at, have active kids because they're good role models. So, I mean, sports is this enormously important institution in building a healthier society and developing more social cohesion, more social trust across our communities. You know, getting people to you know know each other by playing together, and uh, I mean, there are citizenship outcomes that are that are great. But despite all that, there's just not much investment in access to sport in this country. The fou- foundations have not made it a priority. They don't you know, tackle all these other problems but they don't do it through the lens of sports. Government in general has not invested in it. Um, they invest through park and recs, which is good, but those budgets have been cut. Um, they've been whacked certainly over the past, you know, 10 or so years. Um, you know, So it's just, it's just not a priority. And that's one of our goals is to kind of bring sport into the conversations that are being held elsewhere in society about addressing, you know, major challenges.
0: And from a geographical perspective, obviously, there's certain sports you can play at certain times of the years. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the California, the Arizona, the Texases of the world, and you've got baseball going on all year round, whether it's 115 or not. And, you know, mm-hmm. then you've got the Northeast where you can't play half, you know, half of the year. And then, but there's other sports that are more prominent in those areas. So as you think about, you know, if if a kid grows up in um, Arizona, and really, really wants to play hockey, like, yes, there's some opportunities, but if they want to be really, really good, right, they're not traveling to the Northeast every weekend to play. So how do you continue to to help expand those opportunities across all parts of the country? And it's not just, hey, this is where I grew up. And this is a sport I play because it's the most prominent there yeah
1: yeah so i mean like you're always going to have these regional affinities and that's fine you know i mean uh hockey probably should do better in the northeast and in minnesota than it's going to do in arizona and new New mexico um i mean i'm more concerned about just having access to the, the the sports that are offered in your in your area um you know it's gotten so darn expensive that a lot of families can't afford these large checks um and or or there's just so much travel that parents can't sign up for this if they've got more than one or two kids or if it's you've got a single parent home so i, I you know i i think that the need uh, the priority needs to be on bringing back community-based play local low-cost in uh, quality, in quality play, because a lot of it honestly has not been of high quality in the past. It's one of the reasons people have you know, fled to these travel teams and start stroking the big checks. So um, it can be done, absolutely, but um, it, it's going to take revenue streams uh, and it's going to take um, uh, quality standards tied to you know, grant criteria or corporate funding or otherwise. Meaning if you, know, if you want our support, show us that you're a good actor, you know, show us that your coaches are trained, that you are, um, you know, you're making room for, you know, kids from lower income homes in your, in your community, uh, you know, by scholarshipping or, uh, or, or or otherwise.
0: How have, you know, some of the, you've seen some of the leagues, whether it be MLB or NFL, with their kind of their programs, right, with Playball or Play 60 and um, some of the ways in which the leagues are trying to engage you know some of the different communities um what's one way that that each team right in their own local community continue you know can continue to whether it's an academy whether it's camps right like what are are ways in which you know professional teams or even the colleges can help with this issue
1: i mean what are what are the assets that that colleges in particular have because there are more of them around around earlier i mean they have space so they have athletic facilities. So how do you open those up more to the community? You don't just, you know, coordinate them off for NCAA athletes, or even, you know, you're the club sport athletes on campus, I understand there's sometimes facilities constraints, but there's a lot of green space in in universities. Um, Universities also have students who, uh, who could become coaches in these communities, particularly, underserved communities. So programs like, you know, coaching core um works with college students to get them trained up to be youth coaches uh you know uh, particularly those who um you know uh, look like the communities that they're trying to serve so they they're very good at trying to get you know kids uh, who are from minority backgrounds or who are female and connect them with programs in in uh urban environments uh, particular uh, so then, you know, those are a couple, couple assets. Um, I think, you know, colleges and the NCAA can recognize that they are um, part of the problem, really. Um, I mean, you know, youth sports has been transformed by the chase for the athletic scholarship since they really the early 1990s. Um, that's what's driving this is just this idea of ROI downstream uh, return on investment that parents you know, write the checks and do all the travel and do everything that they're asked to do to keep their, their kid in a, a competitive situation where they can get in front of scouts. So that's fine if you wanna kind of keep that system in place but recognize that you know, there's, a, you know, there's a, a lot of bad stuff that comes from the chase for the athletic scholarship from kids being burned out to overuse injuries, to access issues. And so how can you be, you know, how can you address some of these gaps, um, you know, using, using your assets and using your voice, uh, uh, as athletes, I think there's a lot that the colleges in particular can, can do. And then pro athletes can use their, you know, significant social media platforms to advocate for the interests of, of kids, you know, I mean, kids have, certain they should have certain like rights in sport um and um you know who's who's gonna stick up for kids we talk about the the rights of you know pro athletes and college athletes now and olympic athletes but who's looking out for the kids who's who are you know you know 6 8 10 12 14 16 years old um right now it's no one you know i mean their parents might look out for them but they have very few protections. And so athletes can be very effective uh, voices for uh, advocating for what good looks like in, in youth sports and, and the ethical treatment of uh, child athletes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those interesting things, as you mentioned, kind of developing since the early 90s. It's, you know, this chase for the scholarship then kind of funnels down and you're even seeing it from kind of the business models, right? It's the business model, of pro sports funneling down to college sports now funneling down to even high school sports where, you know, when I was in high school, like we didn't have sponsors of our team. Now you're, now you're seeing sponsors of teams and, you know, stadiums and all this sort of stuff that it's yeah. just that trickle down effect, you know, the recruiting component is even earlier. Right. And so as you think about holistically, people that are working in the industry, people that want to work in the industry, what opportunities ex- exist out there to try and ultimately get into the space of doing um, doing good for their community or doing good for the country from a sports perspective, knowing that it can impact people in the right way?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, what anybody can do is begin to uh, be a champion for good play, uh, for, you know, for, for what good looks like and use sports at the at the local level, um, you know we've got a resource on our Project Play website called the Teamwork Toolkit, where we've basically shared what we have learned about you know, landscaping communities and mobilizing leaders in those communities to try to develop a better state of play. So you can go in there and you can see, like, you you could you know survey youth in your community, you know uh, map all the different facilities. Here's how you bring you know, uh, your sport leaders in the community together and then shape a shared agenda and develop, you know, mutually reinforcing actions that are aligned with the, the shared vision in your particular community. So You could just be a local champion. It's gonna take a little bit of work, but if you care about sports, it's a, it's a pretty good, uh, you know, community organizing uh, exercise.
0: What do you wish you could change about sports? If you could snap your finger and it would happen, what do you wish? um my wish
1: is that there would be uh, more dedicated funding for uh, underserved programs in this country number one um, and that may happen look in New York State the other day um, uh, they, they they legalized uh, sports betting and uh, there's a carve out five million dollars a year it's going to go to youth sport programs and underserved you know, that, that, that serve underserved kids. And, um, you know, it's never been d- done before. That's the first state to do it. Um, it's actually an idea that, you know, I first kind of researched and put the pen, pen to paper on and wrote up and got published two years ago. And uh, a legislator in New York saw that and uh, and, and did the hard work of, uh, of, of getting this included in, in the legislation. That's now uh, that, that could be model legislation, you know, anywhere in the country, Flo- Florida, and you know, places that have not legalized sports betting. I mean, how great would that be if, if you, when, when you legalize it, you also make sure that you're, you're, you know, it's funding community-based play. So that would be one thing, you know, uh, is is just dedicated uh, funding streams. But also, um, you know, to, to get too greedy here because you only asked me for one. But the second thing, and it's actually paired with it, are quality standards. So. know when you do get money when you apply for grants or otherwise show us that your coaches are trained show us that you you know you've got access measures in place show us that they you know uh that that you're a good actor you know and um i think that's got uh that's what i would like to see in place because right now it's a wild west environment pretty much do whatever you want to do uh you know very few constraints and an awful lot of protections uh, for, for, for the adults who are, you know, serving kids, many of them serving them very well, very, most of them are right. But there are some bad actors out there. And frankly, there's just a lot of people who are untrained in key competencies of working with youth.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think about, uh, even just the education system, right? People are trained to become teachers. So why can't people be trained to become coaches? It's the same thing. You're teach you're just teaching a different context, right? Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah.
0: Spot on. I mean, I think one one of the interesting things with, with coaching too, is that, you know, as, as those that are, you know, in the industry um, and those that are, you know, watching from afar, right. You look at the development of sports and how coaches can impact those that are coming up through the game. Um, I mean, truly coaches can impact people's lives, right? And there's a, a huge component there that uh, I know Positive Coaching Alliance has had a huge role over the last, you know, X amount of years trying to help, you know, the coaching landscape as well. So, Tom, last question for you as we wrap up here, you know, when you think about um, being a journalist, right? It's, it's everyone's a journalist now. You can, you can have a blog, you can have a podcast, you can have this, that, and the other um, what's the biggest thing you learned from being a journalist that has helped you in what you're doing now today?
1: Mm, curiosity. I mean, you know, uh, to be a good reporter, you have to be, you know, naturally curious and you have to develop your question asking skills and, and just getting to the bottom of anything. And so, uh, that's been, I mean, that's been the separating factor for me throughout my life is, is just, uh, my curiosity you know I I went to a high school that was I don't know how many people but not all that many people went to four-year colleges and uh, but I was a very curious person and um, and then I fell into journalism and just taught me how to be a researcher and taught me how to think and taught me how to write
0: so. Well Tom really appreciate your time on the podcast today being a part of the uh university of florida sports business insights from gator nation series Um, certainly look forward to what you'll continue to accomplish with the aspen institute and the sports and society program Um, where can people find information on on you and follow you guys uh, etc
1: i mean you can find information on me at you know my website you know tomferry.me you can find information on uh, a program that i founded um, project play at uh, ProjectPlay.us. play.us. Um, yeah.
0: Those are the two best places. Awesome. And you
1: can follow me if you want on, on, on Twitter uh, at Tom Ferry.
0: Wonderful. Well, Tom, thanks again for the time. Appreciate it. And certainly enjoy the conversation. Thanks again for listening to the life in the front office podcast. Remember today's episode was brought to you by Suja organic. If you go to shop.sujojuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off of their packages. Excited to have Suja on board for the month of April. And again, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next episode.